Welcome to the podcast, Meet My Potential, where Deepa chats with leaders around the world once a week or simply shares her insights. This podcast is for those who aspire to meet their highest inner potential. Each episode brings you one simple tool that you can apply at work or in life. Hello, and welcome to this episode on loneliness in systems. Today, we have with us Marita Frijan, and she is the CEO of CRR Global. CRR Global is an ICF certified coach training school, primarily focused on relationship systems intelligence. She's also the author of the book, Creating Intelligent Teams. She's a mentor to a huge community of practitioners in the field of relationship systems work. Welcome, Marita. Thank you, Deepa. Very, very happy to be here. All right. So let's get started. What is loneliness in systems and how does that actually get created? That's a really interesting question. I was sitting with it again when you mentioned the title. I think that there is a place where everything, sometimes we talk about return on relationship. When we are looking at the work that we do, instead of return on investment, what's the return on relationship? Because I think it's the absence of the inability for whatever reason to feel connected with other human beings, with colleagues, with coworkers, that is part of what creates that sense of loneliness. So we can put it, you know, we can say it's because of the speed of change that we all are moving so fast. Um, we can think of coaches that most of the time sit with a headset on and talk to their clients over the phone or via Zoom, that's a little bit better these days. But there's a place where we're moving so fast and for whatever reason, we are not in relationship with another human being. That is part of what I think creates that space of loneliness. Right, because there's so much to be done, so many actions to be taken. So we could somehow sometimes get very narrowly focused on our huge to-do list and cut away people, cut away what the relationship can bring to us. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I was looking at the front page of the latest Harvest Business Reviews that the, the title of the front page was The Age of Continuous Connection. <laughs> and it's true. We are connected 24-7, one way or the other. But it's the, also the age, I think, of continuous disconnection on the relational base. And there's some really interesting research around that that helps elicit for us how, unless we have that human connection that is an exchange with another human being, preferably in person, that loneliness sector grows. And I can imagine that as people go up in the organization, leaders do often get lonely in their positions. Yeah, I think that there is more and more a place of expectation uh, that person will have all the answers. I think that's the old paradigm that we got handed down and are busy evolving out of, that it's not so top down anymore. But with that expectation comes a place that I surround myself as a CEO with a boundary of what is appropriate for me to divulge or what is the kind of social contact that I can have. So there is a boundary created that we call professional and professional often disconnect us as human beings. <laughs> doesn't have to, but it can. But it can. And yet at the yeah. same time, in that place of working solo on your own, you can be efficient. So there are some values in that. I think that's one of the challenges is that we do that because there is success down that road. 
there is achievement. There's I can get it done. Whereas if I chat too much, if I, I've just had the experience where before my call with you, I talked with one of my colleagues and suddenly realized that there's a deadline that I missed. And I missed the deadline because I had over the last couple of days, just a little bit more time that I took to talk to other people because I was tired from a demanding trip and work and stuff. So I took a little bit more time away from work, even just in chatting. And suddenly it's like, oh my goodness, I'm behind. What was I thinking? So there's a cycle that gets reinforced for us that if we stop doing, we tend to get behind. And that, of course, is the upside of it is that we get in front if we don't stop doing and spend too much time with other people. But in the end, it creates a burnout that costs us more than right. other pieces that we're talking about. That's right. That's so true. When we have so much to do and we are all out by ourselves, that causes burnout. And when we have company to work with others, it's much better. Well, and again, it's sometimes in the age that we're in, it feels counterintuitive. But again, the research is on our side with so much of these things at the moment, because when they started looking at MIT Sloan, when they started looking at what creates the collective intelligence, which is the term that they use for it, when you randomly put together eight people in a team and give them tasks to do, what creates that collective intelligence that makes them more efficient? And the results was kind of interesting because what they found was that it's not the collective IQ that creates the efficiency. It is one of the top things that they found is that teams that have more social awareness, that is about what is going on with my team members, those teams were more intelligence from the collective intelligence perspective of efficacy. So there were other things that they found that the teams that are more diverse in terms of skills around a specific topic often were more successful because the people that didn't know exactly, they were not the masters at it, had different new ideas. So there's a diversity piece that plays into it. But it's interesting if you uh, go back to that research, three of the five top factors that creates good intelligence, collective intelligence on the team um, had to do with relationship. So it really emphasized some of what we're talking about, that there definitely is a return on relationship when it gets to the office as well. So relationships are key to having collective intelligence. Relationships are key at the workplace for being efficient. Yes. What are some challenges that come in in order to create and sustain relationships at work? Again, there is something about... At work, very often, relationships can become conflictual or competitive, or uh, there can be a situation where there is negative feedback and where negativity plays a role in what happens in the office because people, so often, we get evaluated on performance. And if I don't do it right and if I don't do it on time, I may not be well evaluated. So there are a lot of challenges around that. Unfortunately, again, because of so much of the research pointing us in this direction, there is a beginning of an opening in the direction of that sometimes it looks as if we go slower because we pay more attention to the relationship, but in the end, we are more efficient. So, for example, if you're thinking about teams come around together around a task, if they can create agreements in terms of how they will be relationally with one another, 
what will be the best climate for them to work together in? What will happen and how can they work better with one another when things get difficult? If they can create agreements around that and rehearse a little bit around that, teams who, when it does get difficult, don't go back to that, tend to fail faster than teams who go, wait, wait, let's go back to our agreements. We said that if it gets difficult, we will be transparent. We will allow other people to speak what is happening for them. So whatever those agreements were, they tend to then more efficiently return back to task. Whereas in a situation where they don't go back to those agreements, everybody go back to their individualistic style. That doesn't always present the best outcome and the fastest outcome and most effective outcome. So, you know, there really is pros and cons, but on the whole, we are beginning to move in a direction where if we slow down a little bit more to take care of and pay attention to the partnership, to the relationship between us, we have a chance and it's successfully proven now more and more that we will be more efficient and better at the other side. You need to just look at, look at sports team. I mean, sports team showed for us over and over. It is not the quarterback by himself that is actually scoring. It takes a team effort and they pay. It's interesting and fascinating for me how top team performers pay much more attention to how they partner than most of us do that many organizations do at the moment. And that's a very vivid example for us. Right. So relationships are key. Slow is fast. If only we can all remember that, that if we go a little bit slower, we can go really fast all together. And what I'm also retaining from this is it's important to have team agreements and it's very important and critical to go back to those agreements. To those. Otherwise, we fall back into the old patterns. What is one suggestion that you would give for teams to come somehow have a reminder like, oh, let's go take a look at those agreements. What happened? Because, you know, these are soft stuff and kind of feels too fluffy at times to go back to the soft stuff. Like, I mean, like, come on. I mean, like, let's get down to business. Okay, we did a workshop. We set down our agreements. Well, I think that to the extent that we hold one another accountable in those agreements and take co-responsibility for it, which again, can you feel how that's relational? We want to be co-responsible. So one of the things that, for example, I was telling somebody The other day, a client that I worked with, on our team, we have a team and our executive team is a team that's really fast. We tend to go fast. And very often, when it goes fast, it becomes very intense. So when it becomes intense, it begins to move in the direction of conflictual because everybody, (laughs) you know, if you're a J, we've got to do it this way and there's a right way or however. So one of our team agreements is that when it gets difficult, (laughs) I'm a little bit shy to share this with you. When it gets difficult, we will remember the video about kid goats. There's a video about kid goats. And those of you that know and have seen kid goats, they cannot walk. They just bounce. They bounce on top of one another. They bounce on rocks. They bounce on the big goats. They they bounce. And in the process, they fall. So there was this one video that also had a sound to it. And the sound that the little kid goat makes as he's bouncing, it goes, what, 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 what? (laughs) So one of our team agreements is that when we feel ourselves going too fast and we begin to resolve to the individual, that we will just, somebody will go, what, what, what? And the moment we do that, there's a fun piece again. People wake up to it. So it's not significant. 
but it reminds us to be playful, to play with others. It's just just this whole emotional field or atmosphere that goes with that. So I think that there's a learning curve to that. And in many teams that I work with, we'll see some of those agreements, particularly ones that gets difficult when it gets difficult are either on sticky notes on the refrigerator door of the uh, rec room, or it is something that they bring into meetings. If you're one team that's got things laminated, so they have those, and each team member, when they come in, pick one. And as we go through the meetings, we can begin to look and go, whoa, whoa, wait, we need more of this. So there are lots of different ways in which we can keep reminding, but it's really, really important because as we do that, we also begin to find other ways in which we can perform better. So we update those on a regular basis. But team agreements and agreements with your partner around those relationship agreements, we think is the foundation for successful performance. So it's not something that's written on stone, written on the wall. It's something that is continuously spoken, talked about all the time. And there's a process that's attached to it. And it's always a work in progress. Because as human beings, we are infinitely complex. If we think, if you and I create agreements here together and we think we the one agreement that we have will solve it, it does not take into into consideration how our relationship grow and evolve, different challenges that shows up. So it just we're always a work in progress. Always. Okay, cool. Wow. Sounds interesting, all the work that you do out there. (laughs) It needs to be fun as well. It's interesting, it's significant, but it's fun as well. Yeah, absolutely. Right, right. especially if you're going around screaming like goats. (laughs) Yeah, see, that piece. (laughs) Okay. So how do you kind of like find like, we tend to sometimes live in a world of black and white. There's so much advantage of going solo. I can go faster. That's the belief. That's the old belief. And if we go together, wow, there's so much more creativity involved and it's so much more easier to go together. And so sometimes we get caught in either or paradigm. What's your suggestion? Yeah, again, I want to normalize that. You know, that we, above all, we remain human and there is a moment in time when we go either or. So I want to normalize that. That'll happen. If we can just on a regular basis, there's a team that I'm working with where on a regular basis, I think we've now moved to every two weeks in the office, they have one day, and it's usually a Monday because we've now shifted it to a Tuesday. But there's one day where in the conversations in the office, in the meetings, it's called a failure day. But it is about that day we talk about where are the places that I or we fail and what did we learn from it? Because we fail every day. We make mistakes. As long as we can pause for long enough to go, okay, what did I learn from that? That's immediate evolution. That immediately takes us to a different way of operating. That immediately begins to give us, oh, oh, okay, let's not do it that way. Let's do it this way. So again, can you feel how that feels like a massive stop Let's stop and talk about our failures. But if you really look and talk about what didn't work and what are we learning from it? So I think that's an overarching piece. That question about what are we learning from it? What's trying to happen when we see that going on? Those kind of questions puts us in a very different discovery mode. And it's from those kinds of discoveries that innovation happens. And I think that brings a different 
sense of positivity again, that if I fail, it's not because I'm stupid or incompetent. Failure is one of the ways in which we grow and learn and evolve, provided we're willing to pause for long enough to look at what is it that I'm learning from. That's huge. Excellent. That's a wonderful idea. Have a day where you talk about your failures and see what you can learn from it. Because if we spend time at work hiding our mistakes, trying to look good, we're wasting precious time and we're not innovating and we're not being creative. So this is a great idea that we can put in place. What are some tips that you would give? Before we go there, one of the things I want to say is that if when you do this, it needs to be with a team organization where you can really make contracts and agreements around safety so that there isn't a leader that will take those conversations or a team manager and later on it will show up in an evaluation report. So again, you can see how if we can create agreements about safety, that what we're doing here is we are in a prototyping conversation and that's become common language these days. We're not in a conversation, we call it failure, but it All prototyping happens from failures. This part of the engine didn't work. That's what it is. So if you can create safety, you really begin to build a culture where there is trust, collaboration, safety, and that creates a very different learning style and a very different leadership model where we can learn from one another's mistakes and so help all. But there really needs to be contracting on safety. Sorry, I need to say that piece. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's important. That's exactly. Yeah, and that was yeah. actually one of my questions was like, because that's a very crucial piece of conversation where each one exposes and becomes vulnerable to talk about their failures. And then I know that as engineers, we typically want to go to like, this is the solution here. I have a piece of advice for you or take that up, failure up as, oh, how come you did that? That's stupid. You know, those kind of judgment calls can come in or take it up in your evaluation, just like you said. So what are some advices that you would give to hold such a conversation? I think that one of the things that we find helpful is because talking about failure is not always depending on my profile or my type, whatever profile you're using. Talking about failure is not always an easy one. So One of the things that we often do is have people on that day just take time to, as they go move through their day, take some notes. So write it down for themselves first so they can look at the places where we as as a team didn't do so well, where I as a team member really messed up. So write it down so that you can have access to it and you can evaluate it yourself. What did I learn from that? Then from there, we set designated meeting times, huddle times, and we share about that. And then that share, because some people have now already processed it, some, they can then choose what they share. But the entire system on an individual frame, personally, as well as then collectively, have had the opportunity to evaluate and look at that. And if I discovered something that I did that I just feel too vulnerable, I'm not going to tell people that I failed in that, I have the right to do that. But I have looked there and I have already got, oh, Marita, next time, don't do that. But, but so, so that's one of the ways to create safety. So it's not a, oh, woe is me, I did mess up here. I was like, because that begets a, an atmosphere of just not very positive. But if people can make notes and if we hold it as, so we have started translating it also, we are in a day of talking about what the learnings from failure is. So we've given them that bridge. But I do think that because cultural 
there are so much in, in organizations who are so diverse at the moment. And there's a culture that is a U.S. culture. There's a culture that's an Indian culture. There's a culture that's an African. We're all represented in most organizations at the moment. And speaking of failure is different in different cultures. So we need to be able to allow for that diversity and have people play and do with it in a way that's accessible. Fantastic. Thank you very much for that brilliant insight. Start with yourself, start taking notes. Yes. That's the first step to identifying what has been one of my failures. Because sometimes we don't want to feel the pain of our failure. We numb our feelings. We go into consumption, watching TV, binging on food, drinking a Coke, whatever it is. Playing games. Exactly. Whatever our addiction is. You got it. (laughs) Yes. So take that time for yourself to write some few notes on what have been some of your failures and what are you learning from that? Yeah. Well, in the opposite side of that, there's a company, I honestly now can't remember who it was. It would be a good plug for them if I could remember the name. But there's a, a very large company that has invested, has purchased and given to each one of their employees a gratitude journal. And the instruction is that every day when they come into the office, before they open their email, before they answer the next, their first call, Write in your gratitude journal what you're grateful for in your life, in this office, on this team, in this company. What are you grateful for? And make a point of, at some stage during the day, share that with a colleague or a coworker. So you can see between all of these things are building healthy self-esteem and self-esteem not only for myself, but for the weeness that is our partnership with my colleagues and for the appreciation of the larger whole, of the larger piece. So if I can do and count my gratitudes, count my blessings, it becomes easier also to then look at what is difficult. If I'm looking at the difficult things where we fail sometimes, it becomes really helpful to then go back to gratitude and like, oh my goodness, we fell here, but thank goodness for X, Y, Z. All of those things, small things that actually creates a completely different uh, culture, a completely different emotional field among colleagues that absolutely sets the stage for very, very different planning strategy and production. Excellent. Thank you very much for that wonderful tip. And before we close this call, would you like to share one final message with the audience? You know, you earlier framed the words that actually lives in, I was born and raised in South Africa, and I've got a lot of African in me in the sense of the we culture. And there's this Ubuntu saying that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Your words were around that earlier. And this is something that I want to leave everybody with. No, that if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. And in that togetherness, build relationship, however that shows up for you. But it really is. More and more, we think that relationship truly is the currency that runs organizations. Great. At least that's the stand that we want to take. So it's been a pleasure talking with you. I really loved it. Thank you. Thank you very much, Marita, for being here with us. You're welcome. Until next time. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you'd like to know more how you can meet your potential, check out www.meetmypotential.com. That's www.meetmypotential.com. Join us again. And until then, stay cool.